and welcome to another episode of Putting It Together. My name is Brian O'Sullivan. Welcome along to this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you're uh, new to the podcast, well, welcome. Thanks for coming. And uh, if you've been around for a while, well, you're most welcome also. Um, lots of people have been starting to listen during lockdown, I think, and we're glad to have you. And if you want to get the swing of things, you can go back into the archive and check out some of the other 170-something episodes that we've got. So let me get right into it. I started to really struggle in the last few days with the lack of live theatre and live music in my life. It just It just hit me. Um, it felt like a loss, like I was mourning a death. Um, and it's I just find it hard because I can't see an end point. I think it's different when you know that there's something in the calendar, anything, you know, if there's something even six months away that you know you're going to be doing or that's happening. But this situation we're in doesn't seem to have a cut-off point. So what I did was I started putting stuff up on the walls of the house. Instead of waiting for some future day when all these pieces were finally framed and ready to properly hang, I just dug them out and started sticking them to the wall with blue tack just to have them in view, just memories of shows that I've done, first night cars that have hung around for years, old posters, things like that. And it did make me feel a wee bit better. Um, I was just kind of like, what am I waiting for, you know? Um, and it's great that things are starting to happen again for some people, but it does make it harder for those of us who aren't doing things. You know, when we were universally sat at home waiting, it was somehow easier to accept because... It was all of us. Now there's this a group of people who are doing stuff and a group who aren't, which is just like before really, except the non-working group is a bigger group. Um, so I have great uh, admiration and uh, joy for the people who are getting back to work. I really do. And I'm just, I also want to talk about the struggle as well. I mean, I know that I speak from a position of immense privilege. I know that. I've had very few breaks in work over the last several years. I've always maintained, though, that that's got really as much to do with being a kind of a jack of all trades as with any great success or talent. I think I do lots of things, and if if I named myself as an actor and did solely that, then my work would be sporadic. Um, but I've filled the gaps, you know, with music and writing and teaching and just other bits and bobs, really. Um, and not all of them would be my absolute favourites activities, you know. They, they, but they're all creative and they're all within this the general field of the arts. Um, but recently, ninety percent of it has disappeared, and it's true what they say: you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, I've always been, I've always been grateful to have a job when I've got a job, like everybody. Um, but like everybody, else, I love a wee moan, you know. And now I've started to think I'd go back to even the worst job, you know, the one I moaned about the most, if it meant I can be on stage again. Um, your standards kind of change, you know. And this is not supposed to be, you know, here's the complaining episode. It's just an opportunity for me to get the stuff that's in my head out and to share it with you because I'm pretty sure some of you will have felt these things too. Um, even the change of the seasons kind of changes how I feel and it reminds me of, of the reality of what's going on. I mean, who who listening can experience a hot Scottish summer day without thinking about the fringe, about running around Edinburgh between shows and Either you're in a show or you're trying to see a show or trying to find time to eat or get a ticket, meet up with friends, talking about the next show you're going to do, having ideas. Um, and, and now it's autumn, which always reminds me of rehearsing for a Christmas show. You know, walking through a crisp morning into a warm theatre or a rehearsal room to create some big character, so learn some daft songs, you know, or, or meet the newly invented puppets. Or sometimes, for me, November is a time when, when I would be getting on a flight and going to the US to play music 
for a big season of Irish dancing. And I've spent many Thanksgivings in America playing endless hours of music for big competitions, you know, deliriously tired, jet lagged, full of caffeine and tunes, you know, happy. So, so it's a different type of autumn, but it's important to be grateful for what we do have, I suppose. And I'm grateful to be alive and breathing, for one. You know, to have my health and a, and a roof over my head and plenty to eat, you know. And I'm I'm grateful to have been in this business for as long as I have and for the experiences that I've had and the people I've met because those people have kept me going through this time. And often talking about memories of projects past has been what's kept us smiling when we were able to meet up or even, you know, over the phone and things like that. Those memories... Are a, are a big source of joy uh, when we can't do the real thing and also doing this show um you know having people on here to talk about stuff and, and to remember stuff and to look forward to when we might be able to do it all again because i believe we will and i think that's something that we get to talking about in today's episode with john keelty who's my guest um about a sort of a a sort of a blind optimism that many of us carry because because we've had to over the years um even when this business is in full swing, many people have to live with blind optimism that they'll get to be part of it again sometime. And now it's more more of us than usual have to sit with that blind optimism and hope um, and believe that it's going to come back. Because it always has. It's always bounced back against all odds without enough funding. You know, it's it's always somehow rallied. And this is perhaps the biggest challenge to date. But still, you know, for hundreds, centuries, you know... Um, theatre's been in decline and not had enough funding and you know struggled for its position and yet you know here we are um up till recently we managed and we're still managing things are still happening um this show for one you know i've I've decided to keep it going because i i don't it's not dead for me (laughs) like it's just on a break but it's uh sometimes when i think about it just on certain days at certain times it gets a wee bit scary and a lot sad and that's what happened to me in the last few days but today a bit better i've had a wonderful chat with john keelty and i'm about to bring it to you and i'm really happy about that and i'm happy that we're still doing this show together and that you're still listening to it so it's about being grateful for what's going and like i say having that hope that the other stuff will come back that's all we can do so i hope that you're safe and well wherever you are that your family's safe and things are going okay and uh obviously we're we're in scary times and they're getting scarier um but there's no sign of me not bringing you this podcast so that is at least one thing that we can all agree on we're going to keep doing this we're going to keep meeting up and talking like this um and feel free to join the conversation give me a shout on any of the usual channels you can follow us pit cc pod on instagram and twitter you can email me brian at putting it togethercast.com and if you want to donate to the podcast to keep it going it doesn't have to be a large amount you can do it by going to putting it togethercast.com putting it togethercast.com and clicking on the yellow donate button which takes you to paypal and it's fairly self-explanatory from there on in many people are doing that and it is very much appreciated those who are doing that so if you want to become a patron of the show putting it togethercast.com click on donate so now it's time for me to bring you my guest of the week it's john keelty at long last and he's with me and we are putting it together I'm under the stairs. I'm in a cupboard under the stairs. That's a Harry Potter reference. You won't get that because you're not, you're not clever. 
<laughs> I like Harry Potter. You do? What I like doing is mixing it up with all the other stuff that you like to annoy All me. your multi-genre jokes. I, how I love them. Do, <laughs> do one for me, please. Uh, it just reminds me of that time when uh, Ian McKellen said to uh, Harry, um, use the force. <laughs> that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I just, I don't want, I don't want Harry to get locked up in prison in case... Um, the Dementors, you know, come onto the Starship Enterprise, and then um, Jean Luc Picard has to do that thing. Raw oh, Rocket Man. Oh, yeah. I told my wife about these jokes. She was physically sick, <laughs> <laughs> so she's like you. She's she a bit of a tricky no, and all that. No, really not. Uh, I've been keeping myself sane. I mean, I'm a a real Doctor Who geek. I love I love Doctor Who, and I've got I just I've had them in my shelves. I've carried them about for like twenty years. These really old books. I got them in Wales when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Doctor Who Target books. They're like small. There's about 160 of them. Wee novelizations. You know, they're all about 120 pages long, and I've got most of them. So I started going through them. You know, going through my shelf, making sure I've got all of them and which ones are first editions, and then go to eBay to see how much they're going for. Okay. And uh, you know, some of the annuals I've got are going for quite a lot of money. So I'd, I'd run into Jordana. She's sitting doing her work and I go this one's just gone for 60 quid and she just looks at me and she goes are you going to sell it and I go no of course, course not, not. <laughs> but doesn't she know how rich we're becoming <laughs> so you could sell it but you won't yeah so you got them did you grow up in Wales uh, no no we just went to Wales on our summer holiday for about 15 or 16 years in a row it was lovely oh. uh, all, you know massive I've got four brothers and a sister and we'd all go down in a car all at climbing top of each other with bin bags on the roof full of clothes 17 hours in the car to oh live to, to, and we'd be in the back we, we, we had a caravan in the back mm-hmm. of a house uh, and i think the reason my dad started taking us down there he, he saw in the newspaper that there were uh, donkey rides because there was a donkey called jenny that lived on the farm and i honestly think that's why we first started going down and then every year we'd go down and stay in this caravan with jenny beside it and when the fir- i mean the first time i remember jenny she was really old the and first she, time and then she just got older and older i remember the last time i saw jenny you'd, you'd go up to her her, her her little hut and you'd have a, a loaf of bread or an, an apple or something you go jenny and you just heard this <laughs> and this old donkey would get up and come out of the darkness just oh all covered in flies and we'd go poor old Jenny she was lovely and then she'd eat an apple she she was lovely that's great so this caravan was behind somebody's house yeah my uncle Cardine and my aunt Sally who weren't my uncle and auntie we just called them that and And had had you met them through this this holiday situation yeah yeah yeah, they 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 advertised they had the caravan and advertised donkey rides I don't ever remember getting a donkey ride from Jenny (laughs) because as I say she was too old for it but I believe there are pictures of me on Jenny's back when she could handle it Wow. And then one year we went down and Jenny had been taken to the old donkey home. <laughs> oh, she'd gone to the other farm, had she? But there were all sorts of animals on the farm. There were sheep that we used to help feed before they got taken away to the sheep farm to have fun <laughs> and frolic. And then uh, there was a three-legged cat called Lil and a dog called Bet. And there was a sheep dog called Sue that, when I was really young, used to attack us. J- James got bitten across the chest by Sue and had to have a tetanus. Oh, uh, but but we sort of became friends, and I think she was the first dog I ever truly loved. Oh, that's beautiful. That sounds like a very wholesome family holiday. Yeah, it really was. We'd go around, we would see castles. Uh, we would, very religious family, my family, um, mm-hmm. and we would go to mass 
every morning of our summer holiday and we'd serve mass like his little altar boys there's pictures of us uh, wow. father Liam was the priest and we loved it so you were visiting <laughs> altar kids we, we were the altar kids but like you weren't even from there I know exactly. We were like so tour, touring. Interesting. It was like touring. You were on tour. Yeah, I've played Newcastle Emelin. I've played uh, <laughs> Ladies in Cumbernauld. <laughs> I've played. No, I think that's it. I think I've only been an altar boy in two churches. How about this? Me and my cousins were altar servers at my grandparents' funerals in their church, which wasn't oh. ours. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That's so we all had jobs. Yeah. Which I thought was quite beautiful, but a bit strange. Like, well, I'm I'm given to understand it was strange because I don't know anyone else that did that. No, I've never I've never thought about it. How old were you? Mm, well, I mean, we're all different ages. There are a whole bunch of us. I remember doing that when I was about eight, eight or nine, maybe when my granddad died, something like that. And Grand was a few years later, maybe twelve. God, that must have been hard. It was weird. I remember holding a thurible with incense. You know, holding um, a what? A thurible. God, you know the terminology. Oh, I just listen. the wee swingy thing. I, I didn't know it was. Is it called a thurible? It's called a thurible. Yeah. It smells great. I love that it smell. It's amazing. I've got some of that in the house. You know, some have of that you? incense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't have it in the house because it sets off the smoke alarm. I've got one of those wee houses uh, with a chimney oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that you put peat in, and I, I love it. But it makes Jordana feel sick, so we can't. I can't burn it. Ah, gutted. Well, you can come over to mine anytime because I live alone, so I can have any old incense I want. No, but I can't, Brian. I'm of course not you can't. Yeah. I'd probably law. smoke the coronavirus out with all yeah. this incense um i so I, I was i remember holding the old thurible and swinging it and and but also crying you know because it was like i was doing my job but also it was a very sad occasion yeah, of course it's I, I do remember mix. i do remember serving funerals with my brother james and i remember yeah. james swinging the thurible as i now know it's called with this big delighted smile on his face serving a funeral and i'm <laughs> it's going, one of the fun it. jobs right <laughs> stop it stop you it there's a man in the man. box <laughs> Actually, Some people will know exactly what we're talking about And then another load of people will not have a clue What no, we're talking about Not a clue um, that, But that's, very, that's all very wholesome isn't it So I mean you grew up in a big family Your your brothers are in the arts as well right Or one of them is Some of them are, some of them aren't uh, two, two of them, no I suppose they all kind of are There's mm-hmm. one that there's one that isn't But he writes songs and stuff as well it's Damien. Right. Uh, right. There's Martin, Damien, James and Jerry And my younger sister uh, who's the only one with a university degree uh, and drives actually? What you don't drive? No, Brian, I don't. I don't. I must get it sorted, and I will. But I haven't. It's terrible. Wait, how were you getting? We worked together at TuneSpeak, right? That time. How I were ran. you getting to those bizarre places? I ran. You ran with all the <laughs> instruments. <laughs> oh, I remember on the last night of the show, you had to run and get a train. Uh, yeah, that's right. Oh, Stephen Stephen Leach, very kindly, uh, who who gave me the job actually, uh, very kindly picked me up in Queen Street and took me up. You, you kind of cope, but, you know, it gets more embarrassing as you get older, so I will eventually drive. Right, okay. Because, I mean, now would be the time. I know, right? Unless, of course, you're very paranoid about being in enclosed spaces, in which case it wouldn't be the time at all. You're right again. God, you're just mm. right, Ryan. I know, I, I love this feeling. But you were right, and both facts were contradictory. Yeah, I, no, I, 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 I don't understand it. <laughs> so are, where are you in the pecking order of the, the ages with this family I'm right in the middle so Damien right. and Martin are elder James and Gerard are below and Therese is, is the very youngest and uh, do you what's that like I mean do you, do you sort of disappear into the the background a wee bit being in the middle what's well the because experience? we've not seen each other very much in a year it's given quite a lot of time to reflect on it and Jordana mm-hmm. said uh, 
the other just the other day she said you know christmas dinner is exhausting because you're all vying for attention and I, i've never really noticed but i think mm-hmm. we do i think it is exhausting yeah i think my brother always said that christmas dinner is like being a lamb crushed in a bucket but i don't really know what that means but i do <laughs> christmas dinner always you know, memories you know. of wales <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean we have that in our family for sure because my dad comes from a big family and there's definitely that thing of if there's a handful of them together or let's say us together uh you know there's a lot of personality in the room and there's a lot of different kind of energies batting against each other you know yeah so yeah. it's quite a boisterous sort of an environment then well, i never thought it was boisterous but i just think it's it's not a boisterousness but there, i think there is a vying for attention that is exhausting if you try and take part in and yeah yeah I mean, it's lovely too, but yeah. So, at what at what point in in childhood did you did you have a thought like I want to do something artistic, or were you writing music as a kid, or what were you up to? Uh, I started Cumbernauld Youth Theatre in first year, and I think me and my best friend just went along for something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Evelyn Wallace ran our youth theatre at the time. Evelyn Wallace and Neil Packham, and she would write community shows and would would play in that lovely stage. Mm-hmm. And I think I just it just became what I did after school. Um, I don't know when it actually became something. Probably about sixteen, where I went, oh yeah, I want to be good at this, so I'd try harder. As we yeah. got older, youth theatre just—I mean, it was just a social club, a drinking club, uh, and I'd be taking it very seriously, and the rest of them would be there to have a good time. Right? Did that frustrate you, though? Oh no, I just think. Uh, because it frustrated me. It probably frustrated them. <laughs> Why are you this taking idiot. this seriously? This is Shakespeare. This is yeah. We don't care. <laughs> yeah, no. It's just it's just a way to organise parties. It's basically a kind of a social convener somewhere. Yeah. Whose parents are away for the weekend? Oh, totally, totally. I love that bit too, though. To be fair, that's yeah. where I got started with all that. Yeah. But yeah, I took it very seriously. Yeah. I kind of always thought that the youth theatre I was in was doing high quality work, and others weren't. I'm sure I was guilty of of that feeling too. And, yeah, uh, and the older I get, the more I realise that's probably just how all the kids feel. Yeah, it probably is. I've I've got videos. I might go back and check, but yeah. Um, I suspect we know what you're going to find. I th- I suspect. I suspect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, were you brought up in Cumbernauld? Uh, yeah, I started in Clydebank, and at five we moved to Cumbernauld, and then at sixteen or so I moved back to Clydebank. So oh. I I kept going to Cumbernauld Youth Theatre. There was there was a number eleven bus that took me from Clydebank to Cumbernauld. That's a, a bit of a trek on a, on a bus, isn't it? Yeah, it really was. Um, and poor Neil Packham often gave me a lift back to Clydebank. That's how dedicated he was. That was he's wow. a lovely man. Fair play to him. I've, I've apologised since. I would never have done it, but <laughs> no. But you don't drive, so you don't get it. <laughs> exactly. It's a whole it's a different culture, you know, the culture of the driver. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, that's amazing. I mean, when I say I live in Knightswood, a lot of people make that connection with with Knightswood Secondary, they say, oh, I know, I know Knightswood, but I don't know the area, because they just sort of were brought in and did their thing at Knightswood Secondary, you know, it was a sort of dance school. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know about the dance school. Yeah, yeah. so, like, it's a, there's a little section of people who've been on this show who just understand Knightswood as that, you know, and I think it's funny how we come, we sort of come from different camps in terms of youth theatre, you know, you get your pace kids. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who are sort of a group, and they know each other, and then there's the Scottish Youth Theatre mob, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was also in uh, Strathclyde Theatre for Youth, which was also Glasgow Schools Youth Theatre with the uh, oh Michelle you know, Gallagher and Johnny and, Joanne and all Fear did that. And, yeah, uh, and 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 Judith hey. Williams and Stephen Ritchie and Emma Hagen and yeah. uh, Johnny McKnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michelle was on a few weeks ago and she was talking about that. I didn't really know about it, but I knew that building, 
because I remember rehearsing a show in there. That's oh, the Red Sandstone room. Building. Yeah, yeah, opposite the Marriott. Yeah. Yeah, Rain Dog were set up in there as well. Right, right. Oh, right. Yeah, they were good. They were good days. Great shows. So, what yeah. kind of what were the shows that that really stuck out for you at that time? Oh, musicals, musicals, probably. Right. Um, we did The Wiz, Liz, Liz Carruthers directed The Wiz, E. Jameson directed Godspell, I love Godspell, Brian, I think Godspell is just, I mean it's not It's not a great book, uh, but the the, yeah. the album is terrific, that's terrible me saying that's not a great book because it's basically the bible, but you know what I mean <laughs> One of <laughs> it's, those bad books <laughs> <laughs> it's, Yeah, it's not his best book uh, no, uh, It is great music though, isn't it? Uh, oh, the music's astonishing Yeah, and, it's uh, amazing and yeah, we thought we were great at it. Uh, and I think when we sang as a company, we, we really sounded amazing. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not a soloist. <laughs> You're not? No, not really. I could can, I can, I can sell a character song, but I'm not sure I'm a soloist. Right, right, right. So was there a point then when you went from the performing aspect of it and you started to focus more on creating your own stuff? Can you remember that? Uh, not entirely. I think, uh, well, I hung around in the music department at school. I think this was the most important moment in, in high school. We just hung around in the mu- music department. I mean, in sixth year, I pretty much didn't do a subject. I just hung around the music department. And I ended up getting thrown out of St Andrews, actually, because the teacher was like, you're not doing anything. <laughs> uh, and I finished. I did my, my drama in Braidfield. Um, right, right. But see that year where I learned piano, bass, drums, guitar, I think that's been the most useful thing that ever happened. That year of not, apparently not really doing anything, yeah, but you were fourth year, fifth year, sixth year of learning instruments, just yeah, you know, dicking around in the music department, and everyone was writing songs, and everyone was listening to the Lemonheads, and I don't really listen to music by myself. I kind of listen to music through other people. Mm. I was saying to you this morning, I don't listen to podcasts or music at home. I only I listened to a couple of episodes of this this morning just to see what it was. Yeah, and it's lovely and it's relaxing. That's very nice of you to say. Oh, no, I think so. And it, I bought my Echo my echo show now that i can have in my kitchen while i'm cooking and, and yeah and, and put it on but you know I, i'm not in the habit of listening to these things but i will i will brian well that's good you don't listen to music at home that surprises me i really don't i really don't i make a lot of music at home but I don't. right really. so there is music going but it's you don't put on albums or anything uh, no not really and i don't remember the last time i wrote a song about stuff i feel you know it's much easier to write pieces about stuff we're writing you know you know a historical character trying to talk or of course yeah yeah but then don't you think that that how you feel goes in feeds into that anyway uh possibly possibly but you're sort of putting yourself in the head the perspective of the person who's singing the song or who the song's about or the information you're trying to get across so yeah of course yeah yeah so you write with your wife as well i do yes that's a recent fairly recent development uh, i was writing with my brothers uh, who are infuriating but very very talented <laughs> uh, and we, we've had you know we've had we've written a lot of things over the years but about five years ago my wife um who works at surgeons hall as events manager she came to me with a story uh, it's a great story it's about the first uh, medical students in edinburgh uh, who were women and it's right. a great story this very rich lassie called sophia turns up at Edinburgh University, 1869, and asks to be trained as a doctor. Now, back then, doctors uh, were all men, and certainly if women did get into education, higher education, which was very rare, they were uh, educated in different rooms. So there was no question of them letting her into the class with the gentleman. Of course, yeah, yeah. So the university politely turned her down and said, I'm sorry, we can't possibly make these... uh, arrangements for just one woman and she just turned up with four more and went all right what about now 
amazing. <laughs> and they let her in and uh, provided they arranged their own classes and paid like exorbitant fees. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did so well. Um, it's a very long and complicated story, but they did so well that the university threw them out. Um, one they of them were came threatened. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. threatened. It threw them out. One of them came top of the class in chemistry and uh, they just threw them out. <sighs> Interfered with their exams. There were riots during their exams and the women sued the university, took it to the court of sessions and the court of sessions ruled that the university had no right to let women in in the first place and made the women pay the damages. Whoa, that's amazing. Isn't it? Uh, I'm also so, left thinking that the court of sessions is just a court where John Sessions makes all the decisions. Well, it is, and he was very young back then, so it, it was a <laughs> so it was he's a decision. On the ball. It was a decision he wasn't proud of. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got this image in my head of him in a grey suit, just behind him <laughs> with a gavel. <laughs> just going, no, 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 no. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> I, so, so she came to me with this. Uh, I wasn't the first writer that she chose actually, but I was the first one that said yes. And I, <laughs> That's a kick, isn't it? I, yeah, it's just one of these things. Yeah. And I, I took literally two months to read this book, which is a, a book about her, a biography written by her lover, Margaret Todd. Right. Uh, it took two months to read, and then we just started working on it uh, together. And we, we took it to London to the Page to Stage Festival at the other palace and then brought it up here. And Creative Scotland gave us 10 grand to put on a reading. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that Tony Cowney directed made a great cast full of brilliant lassies Amazing. Um, and the reading was at Surgeon's Hall where they used to be trained as anatomists that's so cool um, but yeah no we, I mean we've been working hard to get it developed for years and we, we reached a sort of a bit of a dead end until a month ago when Katie Lipson who is the uh, producer of Aria Entertainment she does big shows like uh, she brought the Adams Family up here and there was a big tour of hair and oh, uh, i love the music in the adams family have you heard the music in here uh no well bits of it of course it's really years, good you know more of them than you think so I, I saw her production of that at the at the kings about last year and it was it was mm-hmm. it was brilliant anyway so she got in touch and said look i want to produce this mm-hmm. and i've got a director for you and he gave, uh, she introduced us to an american director called amy karorkin and we've mm-hmm. been developing it for the last month so I think writing's really got me through this lockdown, actually. So So you've been pretty busy then? I have, Brian, and uh, I've been very lucky and very fortunate. So, yeah, very busy. Wow. So what have you been doing? doing? I'm just babbling. Oh, don't. um, Oh, don't. Don't ask. Uh, I don't know. I've been doing this and I've been... I'm writing an album of um, Irish dance music for Irish dancers to practice to. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, so I'm going to be releasing that next year. So I'm kind of at the... I'm just about finished the writing and I'm now into the kind of practicing the material phase of it. There's no lyrics? No, no, it's just like reels and jigs and stuff like that. Do you like want that. lyrics? No, no, I'm good, thank you. I, I, I could do very lyrics. Very kind. No, no, very kind, John. Thank you very much. Stand down. I think I'll do lyrics. <laughs> you do lyrics and you send them to <laughs> brian at nightswood.com. Hey, did you hear that Gene Roddenberry, this is a Star Trek reference that you won't get because you're not clever, but he actually <laughs> wrote lyrics to the Star Trek theme music and get this, this was so he could claim half of the royalties. <laughs> Shut up, oh, and it's never been used. He did, it's not, he, no, he did, he had to release it, but it's, I mean, the words are, the words are terrible, but the guy Brilliant. that wrote the tune was like, yeah, he's a total arse, do you hear what he did? And so he that's was, what he you're was, trying to do right now, <laughs> to get half of my fee. What makes you think that? That was just... Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a cowboy, Kilty. I'd love to be a cowboy. 
<laughs> That's I the would love being an to actor. be a You can. I am playing a cowboy quite a lot. I've been working, I've been sitting in the cupboard under my stairs doing a lot of voiceover for this company in America who do graphic novels. Ah, so they're right. like dramatised graphic novels. So I'm here pretty much once or twice a week for a couple of hours just under here. And, you know, they send you the whole script, but you don't have time to read them because they, they pay you by the hour and they want to get it done as quickly as possible. So they're like, OK, John, they're like, OK, John, now you're this uh, you're a you're a 40 year old uh, Scottish guy who's just had an arrow thrown at his head. Go. And you just read the line and they're like, OK, now you're a now you're a <laughs> now you're an elf uh, and you're an angry elf. You're the size of a Coke can and uh, you, you're really angry. So we're going to, you know, just go. Oh my word! Do you just do angry noises, or does that elf have lines? Oh yeah, he's got lines. Yeah, all sorts. Of, it's a, it's an amazing thing. It's, but it's do you a have really to do intense... the, the noises as well. Like, oh, like oh, yeah, yeah, all, all of that. You stuff, have to ride yeah. the gain, so you know, because if you're getting murdered, you have to ride the gain down low and watch the wave. Because it's like right, this: right. you record on this end and then send it to them. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's a that lot of fun. Good fun though. Yeah. But you're really sweaty by the end, and you're just like, you just played a hundred <laughs> characters, and you just hope the performance is good because you didn't have time to think about it. And no one will ever really know it was you. It sort of disappears into the ether so much of our work, doesn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely. That's the thing people don't realise about acting, I think, is, is how much of it is kind of invisible. Yeah. Developments, readings, little recordings that go, you know, you don't know where they end up. Yeah. I mean, it's strange. We, on our car journeys to Wales, mum used to shut us up by just putting these tapes on, you know, audio tapes. We loved them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what I'm doing is those, but I don't think I'll ever hear them, no. Yeah, I had some weird old tapes, and I can still remember snatch them, and I, I would love to hear them again. I mean, one of them I found recently, it was a video that I'd had, and it was a Ladybird video, and it was Ron Moody reading stories out of a storybook. Um, and Ron Moody, like, who was Fagin and Oliver? Yes, yeah, that Ron Moody. Have and you he, told your Oliver story on these things? Is this about the turn? Yeah. I'll tell you, you can start about the turn in a minute. Let me okay. tell you about Ron All Moody. Right, okay. <laughs> I don't talk a lot about it. Um, we need to he, talk about the turn. <laughs> you know that way your teacher at school used to read you a story and they would hold the book up so you could see it you know like no. both pages open no no because because you'd have a book as well and you'd be reading along surely no when we were very little you would sit cross-legged and look up and the teacher would read like a big picture book and well i don't know if they, all teachers did this but they would hold it open so you could see the pictures and they would bend their night round so they could read you paint such a vivid picture brian i think you should put lyrics on your album <laughs> you're just trying to find an in I know what you're up to Anyway look Ron Moody was reading this book And it was on video So it wasn't animated It was just the camera Panning across Shots of the book If you know what I mean Yes um, The illustrations I do and know what you mean Because again It's so vivid Thank you very much And then there were lots of kids Sitting around Like listening to him So there were like Real kids And he would say Okay children now We're going to read this book And you felt like You were one of the kids Because you were sitting at home Watching the video And he's telling the story But it was this Very naff sort of a thing really Yeah And um, anyway I found it on YouTube recently And it's so strange Like revisiting those things And going Because I remember All the details of it Or I do as soon as I see them again I go Oh my god that bit And he's eating these sandwiches And he's walking through The park And it's yeah. bad Yeah So those old Strange little jobs That actors do that actually form a big part of someone else's life sometimes. Yeah, well, children's TV. I mean, do you remember Chock-A-Block? No, but we're from different eras, darling. Are we? <laughs> Are you like 10 years younger than me? I don't know. I'm 35. I don't think so. Nearly 10. Wow, you in your 40s? I'm so old, Brian. I know. Just you do leave give me that here. Hair. Just leave me under the stairs. You're just Jenny. <laughs> Jenny? You're the Jenny of the podcast. I'm just coming, give him an Jenny. Apple. I'm coming. I'm coming to the donkey home. Right, tell me what, you tell the story of the turn, because I think it's probably funnier if you tell it. 
Well, as I understand it, you were in a pretty big uh, production of Oliver when you were mm-hmm. but a child. Um, yes. Which theatre was this in? Uh, London Palladium. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Big theatre for a little boy to play. But you know what? When when you're a kid, you're, whatever your experience is, is your normality. You're right. You're immune. You're immune. So it just was, it was great fun and I felt like it was, you know, exciting to be part of it. But and it you was... were, in fact, the titular role. I was indeed, yeah. Is yeah. that is that how you say that? Titular? I think it is, yeah. I often just bravely come out with things and mispronounce them. No, that was good. That good. was good. Um so you you were the titular role and there was a, a, a there was an important point in the musical where the you know, the artful dodger and the the kids were, were bringing you into their gang. Mm-hmm. And what's the song? I can't remember. Consider it yourself. Was... No, it was Be Back Soon was actually the song oh, that this took place in. And Be Back Soon. That's, that's the one. And you're copying a routine. And at one stage, the Artful Dodger does a turn and Oliver's watching him and, and doesn't do the turn. And then one day you were having a lot of fun and you just decided, you know, what what the heck, in this particular performance, Oliver is going to know and do the turn. And you just did it and you thought, wow, that was great. And you went back yep. to the dressing room to be met by a very angry choreographer. Yep. Who said come in and you came in and he, he shut the door and he was very quiet he just turned around and he looked at you and he said did you do the turn i said yeah yeah i did the turn i just thought he said why did you do the turn i just i just thought i don't know I just, no 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 da, 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 da. you don't do the turn <laughs> close your mouth no 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 uh, actually I saw there was something on facebook recently and I, I said something like that I, I saw your family say something about you and i went so something about Oliver and I said he did the turn and no one commented and I thought they must just No, they really... don't know. <laughs> they must just not understand what that, that means. Happened. Remember I did it for years, so it was like all these little things, but I do tell the stories occasionally, you know, why did you do the turn? One time someone said to me, If Cameron had been in tonight, you would have been sent home. <laughs> That's how bad your focus was. This was a this was a harsh training ground, but these are lessons that never leave you. Like you don't drop you, you you're a hundred percent all the time because you can't afford to let go yeah i know and I, I, to be fair i've never you've never done the turn since i've never i've never seen it no no my stomach's done the turn a couple of times but that's <laughs> that's just when i see you coming into the room <laughs> but that's a true story it was the resident director why did you do the turn um and he was angry you know God. but these are you never forget that stuff well, I mean, these big musicals, by the time they've run for years and years and years, they're, they're, they're really directed by numbers. So, I mean, I've never yeah, done one of machine. them, but, but I imagine you, you go in and you think, oh, I'm going to do X, Y, Z with this line. And they go, no, nah, no, nah, you, you just walk over there and say it like this. Give or take, yeah, yeah. I mean, I never got that with intonation, but um, the only people that were allowed to make any changes were the big stars that came in, you know. Who did you work with? Um, when I first started out, Jonathan Price was playing Fagin. Wow! And he had a whole version of it that he had been doing for years because he originated it in that production and then when he left uh jim dale came in jim dale of um he was in like a lot of carry on films so he was i mean he'd, he'd be a good age now yeah he was in the original pete's dragon as well oh wow um and he we rehearsed with him when he was changing in because he had a whole bunch of other stuff that he wanted to do with it so he got to make changes and then we had to work around it and then robert Lindsay did it for a while Amazing. Barry Humphreys. I thought Barry Hunter. <laughs> Barry Hunter. <laughs> he took over from Jim Dale. <laughs> <laughs> be a great Fagan. Yeah, he would actually. Uh, but yeah, as, as each one of them came in, they had little changes that they made, but no one else made changes. 
And certainly not us, and certainly don't do the turn. Jonathan Price played uh, the master in this comic relief Doctor Who special that you would appreciate. It was, it was very, very, very funny. Ron Atkinson was in it, Hugh Grant was in it. Oh, right. The final regeneration of the Doctor was Joanna Lumley, and she went off with the master in a relationship. It was very funny. Wow. I don't really understand Doctor Who. Like, I'm not sure I... Well, it's because it's you're not very bright, um, essentially, uh-huh. but that's yeah, fine. No, I thought it was that. That's yeah. fine, because, you know, you're a good musician, Brian. <laughs> Do you remember... We were doing that development, Which and one? I came to you the blue accordion, the oh, yes, um, the yes, run yes. rig one. Uh-huh. <laughs> I tell people this story all the time. That was terrifying. Like just, I'm going back to the beginning of it so people understand. We're doing a development of a new musical, which um, on paper had forty songs in it, forty run rig songs, and John was MD, and uh, <laughs> you had you, you had such a sort of stressed look about you because there were so many songs and you were trying to pass them on teach them to us and then we're adding harmonies and yeah, instruments i don't really i don't use music charts so in order to teach a song i have to know it like know it you have to learn it and then pass it on yeah well i'm the same yeah exactly so it's quite stressful if you don't know the stuff beforehand then you have to go through the process of knowing it then bring it to the other people and help them learn it. Yeah, and we've got five days to do some sort of showing with 43 songs. <laughs> and it took about two days to do the reading because it was so long, wasn't it? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. it really was. It was, a, it was a lot. Yeah. A lot. So you were kind of a wee bit stressed. But then we got kind of to a point where we were like, right, we're using these seven numbers and yeah. we can put everything to the side. That was fine. You're a bastard. I, I don't remember this. <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm going to go up to him on the morning of the sharing and say to him about a song that we haven't yet covered that we're supposed to cover. I'm going to make up a song. <laughs> and I said, I think it was Stevie Miller. I went, wait, you see this? Or I think, oh no, it was Andrew Still. Come here, I'm going to wind John up. And I went over to you about an hour before the, the producers and stuff were coming for the for the reading. And I went, um, dead serious. I went, John, I know, I know you're under a lot of pressure, but if we could get a chance to quickly run over, over the sea before this afternoon, I'd appreciate it because I don't want to just go in cold. See, it does sound like the sort of song Run Rig would write. Exactly, this is my thinking. And I just watched your face and you, instead of letting on that you didn't know what I was talking about, you went, right, um, uh-huh, yeah, let me just get my get my sheets. And you went away <laughs> and I could see you rummaging around looking for this. Do you know what, you can tell a lot about a person and how they react in situations like that. And you know, I don't know what the conclusion is, but that's, that's me. <laughs> yeah, you were like, hold on, I'll be with you in a minute. And I could see you just going, try to find a way out of it or figure out, no, there's no over the sea. But you didn't say... What are you talking about? Do you know what, in those situations, what you should do is you should just look, go, go <sighs> and fall to the ground. Just fall <laughs> to the ground and just don't move. Just don't move. Yeah, he, just, he just fainted and that was it. <laughs> um, and you came back and you went, oh, look, I'm, I'm struggling over the sea. And I went, I'm only winding you up. There is no over the sea. You went, you bastard. <laughs> I was working at the start of the year with Alison Orr. We were doing a two-hander about Rabbi Burns, the, the ghosting of Rabbi Burns. It's a sort of sex comedy. Right, very, right. Very funny. But it, we had such a short time to rehearse it and it was a very circular piece that you know that repeated itself deliberately and it was very funny sure uh, sure and Alison just couldn't get it poor Alison had to sort of instigate most of the lines I had to react so you know my, I got the cue to speak she sure. had to remember yeah. what it was and I think it was the day before we opened she said I'm just you know I could just faint <laughs> you know if, if I don't know the line I could just go <laughs> <laughs> oh it's awful that feeling of you know being swamped by the the sheer amount of material you know you get that don't you, you think you do you we'll do. never do this we can never do it and then of course you do in some way yeah yeah and i went to see grant o'rourke do a one-man play the, the steve jobs i don't know if you saw him do it oh right no and it's just him talking for an hour 
and I, I don't know why because I understand how an actor can learn lines but for some reason sitting in front of him doing all that my, I, I did say to him afterwards about how, how can you how learn you all of that lines? <laughs> and he's like you know how I know, but you do very, know. It was but very then, impressive. In, in a way, if you're doing it on your own, it's almost easier. I mean, it's obviously very difficult, but there's a sense of at least you're the only one there, and you're somewhat in control, so you can. If I, you need to, I chop don't advise that you do it, Brian, because you wouldn't get on with the rest of the cast. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> have you like my castmate's a bit of a dick? <laughs> Brian can't do one man shows. No, no, no. Don't, don't go there. Mm. Because there's always yeah, the arguments. They're always trying to decide who's the equity dip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how are you with learning stuff in general? Uh, oh, pretty good. Uh, pretty as long as you do it. I think I, I think I just do it. The, the, the commute in the morning is really good. You just I just cram on the train. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think I'm fairly quick. But I wonder when next we'll have to use these powers. Have you been practicing them? No. I do. I've been doing ghost tours. Are you still doing that? I d- yes, always. I think I'll always do ghost tours. No, but I mean, like, even with the pandemic and stuff. Yeah, we are still running. Uh, I don't think. I think I'm going to come off next month because Jordana uh, has asthma, and it's just not worth it. And I think things are getting a bit crazy again. But yeah, I've, I've yeah. been doing graveyard tours, uh, 50, up to sort of fifteen people, and very, very cautious in terms of distance. Um, I refuse to go underground for the last few months because we do an underground tour as well, but. Yeah, uh, that's what I pictured now. So actually, not necessarily. Some of that will be outdoors then. All of it's outdoors. I wouldn't do it. Oh, I wouldn't okay, do it enough. if we were going into enclosed spaces. So the tour's slightly compromised, but you know, people are so starved of things to do that they're 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 very receptive. And are you still are are there tourists in your audience? Uh, yes, really. Yes, there are. Wow, and a lot of it people from Edinburgh are looking for something to do. Yeah, yeah. Do you live in Edinburgh? I live in Linlithgow. I moved to Linlithgow about three, four years ago now. Uh, I fell in love with it when we did the satire of the three estates in the grass and the peel. It was gorgeous summer weather. It was just a great experience and I thought I could move here and then the house came up and we moved. And It's It's a lovely wee place, yeah. Yeah, we're we're right beside the train station and our back garden literally leads right onto the peel where you can walk the dog and there's rabbits that the dog can chase and rabbits that the cat can literally drag into the house dead the cat has killed four <laughs> rabbits since we moved in she gets a bell every time she kills a rabbit um her name's margaret catcher and not only does she kill the rabbits in order to get into the house she has to climb jump up to this window which is you know a good meter off the ground with the rabbit yeah she's killed wow. four uh, she's brought two live in as well that we've rescued so that's six rabbits in total and i don't know if you know this but when a cat kills a rabbit it eats all of it really it eats everything there's one um there's one organ that it doesn't consume and it leaves it on the path for you i don't know what the organ is but i've i've put two in the bin just one little bit of entry yeah just one bit that it knows not to eat and i don't know what it is goodness me that's amazing they're horrible yeah i remember that my my ex used to live in north queens ferry right by the like under the fourth road there's another lovely place there's another lovely place beautiful little place but the the cat would bring in rabbits and sometimes it was a live rabbit it'd be hopping about the living room you'd be like and the cat was chasing it get it out of here oh, yeah. it turns yeah. into a whole big drama you know yeah uh, one one came in and went under the couch and Jordana had to get it out and when I when I got home she was just traumatised she was just like so much pee so much pee oh, no. <laughs> a, a baby rabbit just holds more pee than you can possibly imagine <laughs> oh gosh so so you I mean it's good that you've been keeping busy because you're writing and you're doing tours and stuff like that so it does it feel much different life to you at the moment? Uh, oh, very different. Uh, very different in that we 
rarely leave Linlithgow. Um, yeah, I suppose so. I think I'm in a I'm in a different situation because I'm under the cupboard talking to you, under the stairs talking to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in a bubble of uh, socialness just now, and it's nice. But I think uh, I, I think me and Jordana are we've coped quite well to lockdown, and as I say, we've been very lucky to have projects to tide us over. She's she's up there zooming uh, Borders Youth Theatre, you know, on a Wednesday right. and a Thursday, and she's she's been brilliant with them. You know, she's really been very creative. Uh, and they've had uh, they've had great two hour sessions where they make radio plays and record we record them over Zoom and then I edit for them and we put them up on YouTube and they they're oh, really cool. getting a youth theatre experience from her and I'm really proud of her. And she's actually got a, we're we're going to go down to the borders and make a Christmas carol for them. Uh, we'll rehearse it over Zoom in November and we'll go down to the borders if we're allowed to and record it sort of in person and make all the sound effects and then they can have a wee radio version of a christmas carol to release so she's she's oh, great nice so she's That's kept cool. really busy it seems like things like radio you know are are thriving or at least audio let's say yes you know, absolutely. because we can still do that stuff and we're able to have this conversation as if we're in the same room yeah know? yeah this i mean this technology has been good for for voiceover work as well and uh, not that i've had lots of it but i've had enough so yeah same yeah so how um where are these where are these graphic novels going? I don't I mean know. I want to see them. You I don't, don't even know. know. <laughs> I had a as soon as lockdown started, uh, I'm like you. I I hustle. You know I I don't yep. expect the next job to just appear. So I I wrote to everybody I could think of and applied for everything that I could, mm-hmm. and uh, I got a few responses. And one of them was this graphic novel company, and they they make lots. They make a lot of westerns, um, right. and I don't know who they're. I don't know who their, their audience is, but they, they do fairly churn them out. Wow. I did a talking book as well. Oh, did you? What book did you do? I'm never going to tell you. <laughs> um, it was. It took three months. I, I got I got contacted by a, a company in New York, and they said, hi, we'd love to, to you know, put my voice up in various platforms, and they said, mm-hmm. we'd love to use you. How does $60 per finished hour sound? And, you know, in March, I had nothing coming, so I went, okay. And I learned yeah. how to do it. I can't tell you how much work. I don't know if you've done them. No, but I'm aware of it. I'm aware of the the fact that they now pay by the finished hour, which is kind of outrageous, because it looks like on paper sixty dollars an hour. But I suppose if you were quick at it, I mean, I'd be quicker in my next book. But that was my first book, and I made all the rookie errors. It it honestly took three months, and a lot of that was me having tantrums and walking away from it for hours because I can't tell you how often you do not read the words on the page and you don't notice till you're editing that section. You know, the week after, and you have to come back down and re-record it. And it doesn't sound the same because the mic's in a slightly different position. It's, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there are solutions to all of these problems, and it just took three months to get to the bottom of it. So I, you know, I finished it, and I gave it to them, and then they sent back all the mistakes, and I did it again and again, and eventually, oh my god, eventually we finished it, and it, I got like six hundred dollars for three months' work. But I was, I was so glad that I'd done it, and I got to the finish line. But I wrote to yeah. them and I was just like, thank you guys, I would never have done that without a deadline, but I will never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and I will never tell anyone what the book is. I even used a pseudonym. Did you? Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, $60 a, a completed hour, even if you're fast. Nah, it's, it's really bad. It's, it's, it's probably going to take you an absolute minimum two hours to do an hour. Like, even if you were no, hugely no, successful. No, because you're editing it too. Right. So, so like editing it, processing it, it takes, I mean... If you're really good at it, I would say about eight hours for an hour. I'm not. I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. It was because horrible. actually, for th- this podcast is a, is an hour a week, and it takes me 
the bulk of the day really the day i release it i do most of the work and it I, takes most of the day i listened to about four of them this morning just uh two in their entirety and skipped mm-hmm. through a couple others and it's it sounds great you cannot hear the edits and all the mistakes i mean you're going to have to cut out all the, the times you've been horrible to me i bet you do i bet i listen to this and all i hear is nice <laughs> stuff and you cut out all the all the jibes yeah the second hour is pretty much going to go in the bin yeah <laughs> we've just jumped right into the end here no but it, it sounds great <laughs> thanks well it's practice isn't it it's you know at the beginning it i used to spend like you i spent hours the first episode i remember I did I did the recording and then I sat and I with a fine tooth comb I was taking out every little cough and of course because I wanted it to be perfect and then I put it on my phone and I went for a walk for an hour and I listened to it and I tried to pretend I was a punter listening to it and then I made notes and I went back and did a second edit I mean this is you know crazy behavior and it took me days and days to get it and now it's it's a lot different because it's quicker and you find shortcuts and stuff. But yeah, the shortcuts software are like great. Logic, you know, when you start every time you use it, you go, oh, if you find another wee, a wee corner. Well, that that's another thing. Something. Working on that book, the shortcuts that I know in Logic now are just, oh, it's, they're just going to save me so much time. It's a huge learning experience. Anytime you do a big project like that, even if it is frustrating, you find a way around things, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I can knock a music track out in about four hours now, and or or, yeah. or less actually because of the shortcuts. So there's there's benefits to these things, and that book kept me sane for three months because the first lockdown was terrifying, and it was great yeah. to have a project, albeit a a terrible one. <laughs> but, of course, but, you didn't know at the beginning it was going to be a no, terrible no, no. one. <laughs> but did I tell you about my my Amazon pilot? No. So. Me and Jerry wrote this show 10 years ago for Andrew Panton at RCS when it was mm-hmm. RSAMD. And, you know, we wrote it for Buttons and it went on at the fringe and it did really well. It went from having like 30 people in the audience to being totally sold out, standing ovations. It was just one of these shows, you know, Lightning Never Strikes. It was called Wasted Love and it was about a circle, you know, a, a support group, but like mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous, but for people who were very brokenhearted or in states of unrequited love uh, or with problems in relationships and it was really sick uh, really sick really challenging and it just it just struck a chord at the time and we were nominated for loads of awards uh, we only oh. won the, we won a, a lyrical award actually Brian, uh-huh. I won a, a lyric so I could help you write lyrics yeah no you got you get on with that <laughs> um but yeah it, it did really well and we, we tried to get it on a contacted a couple of places but it just fell away but one of the cast members is now a producer in Canada and she's always been asking us to write a TV script and you know we did it a few times and then last year she came to me and said right we're doing this and we wrote another pilot for her and we flew out to Toronto last August and we filmed it in the same studio that Suicide Squad was filmed in and it was the most surreal experience and that's as far as it's gone just now but you know we're we're uh we're working on it just now, uh, you know, the story arc for the rest of the series, and we just hope it goes further, and maybe it will, and maybe it won't. COVID sort of came along just as we were ready yeah. to have our cast and crew screening, and we had to do that over uh, Zoom, which was quite serious. But it's funny, isn't it, how things from years ago or little seeds that have been planted can come back at unexpected times? Yeah, no, it really is. Life's life's very strange, and who knows what's around the corner. I mean, Yeah. I mean, I just have to try and remain hopeful for the future because some days I just I really do despair and I think it's all over and it's all gone and it's never coming back and you know I do get into those places yeah I think I just try not to um, yeah because it's it's too bleak and it's actually too possible so mm-hmm. just 
It's just one foot in front of the other sometimes, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's all we can do. But um, lockdown's been easier with the, the puppy as well. Puppy and the cat. Oh. Um, we actually, yesterday, reached a funny point where we were fighting to take the dog out. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a serious fight, but I had to sort of acknowledge that that's what it was. You know, we just had to wrestle to decide who was taking Bobby out to the peel because it's, you know, it's your only reason to get out of the house some days. But, I mean, I don't know if you hit up on this, but, you know, you could go together because you're in a bubble. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You didn't think of that, no? Uh, I think I think we do sometimes, but that was more <laughs> a sort of chore. <laughs> That's you taking the wife out. Exactly. Sorry, Bobby. I need to take the wife out. Uh, so we've. I mean, I just I want to ask. I always want to ask people what's next or what they think is next. But I think in this current climate, it's such a weird question. I mean, what? How do you see our industry changing? as a result of what's happened like what if it comes back hopefully it comes back but what would it be like do you think i i really don't know i don't think i'm in a position to even imagine i imagine it will be close to normal just maybe a bit more ventilated and Mm. safe distancing for a while so audiences will be limited and I, i i don't know i just feel like the margins are so tight in our business already that i don't see how these limited audiences you know how that how that works i just think we'll prevail i really do i think we've been through so much harder and yeah. i i can't help but be optimistic i don't really have any answers i just i just have a sense of optimism that it'll be okay um and yeah i know what you mean i mean i've heard somewhere that theater is the only industry that's always been in decline and yet you know it's been around for centuries and it's somehow it just keeps coming back Mm-hmm. I mean, there's never enough funding for the arts. There's never, there's always problems. It's never, you know, it's it's oft forgotten about. And yet we somehow manage, don't we? We always have. Yeah. I suppose that's how I end up with that same optimism that you've got. It's a, it's almost blind. It's just like, uh, it well, yeah. it will be okay somehow. I think it's blind optimism. I just, I don't know how else to cope really. So I'm just throwing myself into developing things. Uh, yeah. It's, it's all I can do. Do you are you good at sort of do you get up in the morning and start working on stuff? What's a morning? <laughs> oh, okay. No, I mean, yeah, I I tend to I'm up very late at night and uh, I tend to get up later in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like when you get up, do you kind of, you know, drink a cup of tea and then sit down at a desk and go right, better get back to it, or do you just let it? Does it just happen whenever it happens? It happens when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, leave things to the last minute. I would be very much like that. Of course, I don't have any deadlines at the moment, so that's... Apart from the podcast. The podcast deadline must be good. No, right now we've got... Uh, so the director, Amy uh, Kororkin, came in and took us through the script, and she's said, this is the Edinburgh Seven. She's identified points where perhaps the book... She, there's, there's too much of a book. Right. So she likes a musical with a, a lot more music. So right now there's there's three bits that we're interrogating that we're, that we're trying to embrace with the music. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we've been working on that the last two days, and we've... We've come up with two. the The lyrics, are, the lyrics are great. Cause <laughs> Here we go again. Great but uh, I think the tunes just aren't quite right yet. So we're, it, it kind of occupies the back of your mind constantly. And then when you're in the the mood to sit down and do it, I just I just do it. You're a good tune writer, though. You are a good. You have a knack for writing. I'm not really in the tunes. zone 
with the Edinburgh Seven songs. I, I, honestly, normally I just do one or two and go, yeah, that's it. And I know once I once I hear it, mm-hmm. that that's it. Yeah, these I've done two tunes for both of these lyrics, and I'm just not right. So it's it's taken a while. Yeah, I think I'm better at writing songs for other people. Right. Uh, I just did a, a series of songs for there's a Paisley Radicals project in Paisley with uh, Civil Disobedience. Uh, Barry Churchwoods is the producer, and he got in touch. He's working with writers mm-hmm. uh, who are generating material based on the Paisley Radicals, which is a horrifying and fascinating story. Right. And they had written songs. We we wrote, we, wrote, we we concentrated on one a week, and we made five songs for them, and their lyrics were great. Um, I, I find that quite easy. Oh, when the lyrics have been written by someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, what, I think I think I've gone. Tr- I've tried many different ways of doing it, and I think sometimes the best kind of tune I can come up with is when I'm away from an instrument. Oh yeah, um, because if I sit at the piano, which is where I write, I tend to fall into these familiar chord patterns. Yeah, me too. You know, uh, so sometimes I've got an idea for a not a whole lyric, but just a a lyrical theme. Like, you know, I don't know. It's, every line starts with why I didn't or something like that and then I find a, a hook that goes with it in my head and then I have to sit there and find out how to play it and that's often how I get the more interesting melodies. I was out walking the dog and this melody came to me and it became the best song I have ever written. Yeah. And it was it was for the piece we did for Dundee Rep last year, A to Z of Dundee. Mm-hmm. It, did, did you know that, I think I probably told you this, but there have been more Bigfoot sightings around Dundee than in anywhere else in the UK. No way, that's amazing. It's Bigfoot capital of the UK. So we did a wee skip, sketch on this uh-huh. uh, in the show and it sort of bled into a, a Bigfoot song and I was out walking the dog and the melody came to me and I just went, that's the best song I think I will ever write. It's, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> that's both a wonderful thing and a very sad realisation. <laughs> Oh well, I'm glad that I've caught you just after your, you know, your heyday. But now yeah, that, that you're it. on the decline, you're not writing that lyrics for me. No way. Now you've admitted that. No, no, no. I've still got it. Still <laughs> please, got please, it. I've still got the gift. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much for chatting to me, John Boy. Cheers, Brian. It's been nice talking to you. Superb. Nice to catch up. I mean, if nothing else, this is just an excuse for me to talk to people for a long time. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go and listen to some more of your episodes because it's it's like uh, having a cup of tea. And I might even have a cup of tea while I'm doing it. There you go. You're starting to get it now. You're getting that podcast vibe. Yeah, I am late to the podcast party, but but um, I think I'll start listening to them. Paul Riley's got one that, that I should listen to. Has he? Yeah. Didn't know that. It's called, I'm going to get it wrong, One Down, Two Across or something like that. It's a crossword thing, but oh, yeah. Oh, right, okay. That's great. Must have a listen. Well, yes, wonderful chat. Thanks very much. Cheers, Brian. Take care. Just the tonic, John Keelty, fantastic. I'm glad to have been able to bring you that wee chat and I'm glad to have been able to talk at the top of the episode about a wee bit about, you know, what's on my mind. Um, I didn't think when I started this podcast that that would be part of it, that, you know, I thought the interviews would be it. Um, and maybe some people skip through the beginning bit and, and listen to the interviews. But for those of you who listen, I really appreciate it and um, I, I recognise the privilege of being able to speak for as long as I want every week and for people to actually listen to it. Um, not everybody has that luxury. So, um, yes, I'm appreciative of, of you listening to that and even if I'm shouting into the ether, it's worth just saying the stuff out loud, isn't it, to try and process it. So, yeah, 
that's where we're at and um, it's been great to have you uh, have your company this week and always and remember that every Wednesday there's a new episode and um, we're fast approaching 200 episodes we'll have to have a big celebration I think that's the week after next so in the meantime, remember, if you can, please donate at puttingittogethercast.com and click on the donate button. Follow us on Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And tell your pals, tell your pals you were listening. Um, and keep listening and be safe. Wear a mask, drink some water and keep smiling. Cheerio now.